And people still think that politics has a lot to do with it and that your politicians have a lot to do with it. A parallel government runs this whole agenda. A parallel government which they set up and wrote about Margaret Thatcher, talked about it openly in her world tour. The tour was called the New World Order. And she said, we had to set this up because there are too many conflicting parties in society to get anything done. Too many peoples with irreconcilable differences. Therefore, they would do it all for us. And that's what they've been doing, step by step, quietly. I'll be back in a few moments after these messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Hi, folks. Alan Watt back here with Cutting Through the Matrix. And what a matrix it certainly is. It's so deceptive and multi-layered, it's very difficult for the ordinary person to get through, especially those who are just waking up because they're being touched personally by the changes that are happening in their own lives now. That's when most people start to get uneasy and know something is wrong. They just don't know the facts. They, they don't know the history behind this. They see what's put in front of them to see, and they don't know it anymore. It's not an easy thing. The first thing they do, actually, is to try and get back the old system because that's what they're used to. You're used to being in that, that field, that sheep field, with all the other sheep around you behaving the same way. It, it makes you feel comfortable. And suddenly you see there, it's changing. There's the black sheeps there. with the, They've got the different uniforms on and they've got machine guns in your streets. And you're told to obey them when you go to get a, a train or you get into a taxi in some countries, or you want to get in the subway or an airplane. You see these different sheep around you, and what you do to change people's behavior is to change the environment around them. If the guards weren't there, you'd feel much easier and freer. You wouldn't have the little worries that you'd normally have when you see them, because men with machine guns are rather intimidating. They don't smile much either. They're kind of like the, the guards at Buckingham Palace. They don't smile much at all. And they, they do expect to have instant obedience when they tell you to do something. So you are being trained to obey uh, overt authority, force in other words, uh, through the rest of your life in fact, because this is going to go on for the next hundred years, according to Mr. Rumsfeld. This war could last a hundred years and at the end of it, they want their brave new world, the Huxleyan world that he wrote about, Aldo Huxley, where you'd be purpose-made for your task. You won't have the ability to cause problems down the road uh, for your elite handlers. You won't be an individual. In fact, you won't be able to think like an individual. 
the very structure of the brain that you'll have will be completely different. But in the meantime, you have to go down this road where they want you ID'd and they want you eventually chipped and tracked. It's a step-by-step program. Once the chipping takes place and new children are born into the next generation, they will grow up thinking this is all quite natural, including the next step that will occur in their lives when purpose-made humans are actually created and put in amongst them to take over the work. When you look at the big building projects going on worldwide, you'll see that the big builders are not worried about a war with China. They're not worried about the Russians. They're doing projects now, building projects that will take 15, 20, 30 years. That tells you that they're not panicking about the future. And of course they're not. They're building the next system to take over from this one in the future. And it will be a time of chaos for peoples within every country as the, the changeover occurs. The changeover from the money system that you know, you buy and you sell, the changeover from picking your own mate, that will eventually go. The, the, the changeover from purchasing the energy supplies you need, including food, is going to be altered, and they want to eventually put everything through the United Nations, all food, water, and energy resources, all the things that you need to sustain your life and your families are going to come through the United Nations. The food supply is to be basically rationed out by the United Nations. Look into the Department of Agriculture. Look into past previous speeches that have been given there. And they say that the populations will be kept in check by the heads of each nation or state or region, as they put it. And it's your problem if you go over your population quota. You'll have to starve some to death or kill them in some other way. That's the bare bones facts, folk, and it's not nice. It's not nice, it's not pleasant, but that's the truth. And this kind of stuff has been written about, published by these organizations and the United Nations since before I was even born. You see, we're trying to catch up here, and that's what's causing the panic with most people. They have never known that the reality that they believe in so much, the reality that they're terrified of losing, was never theirs at all. It was a temporary phase that served the elite as they moved their agenda forwards, as they trained you to relax and sit and be downloaded by television comedies and movies. They were training you all through your lives to accept big changes, the big changes that are coming. They're coming very shortly. And they haven't given you any avenue of complaint. There are no complaints departments in this big world structure. Try complaining to the Pentagon and see how far you get, or the British Department of Defense, or the head of NATO. You see, we have no say in any of this. And these organizations, which really took over power big time uh, during World War II and then during the Cold War, are a super government. They're supra. They're over government. They're so secretive that politicians can't demand answers from them either. That's the reality of it. And your vote means nothing to them. In Britain, at least a lot of people there, because of the centuries of history and abuse and misuse of the people and wars, endless wars, at least a lot of the public there still retained the the memory of this establishment, as they call the real governments, the old moneyed people 
those who live in and around London area. But in the, the, the Americas, you've been given a fiction, you've been sold a fiction for a long, long time. Hollywood even put movies out, documentary movies. One is called Hollywoodism. Have a look at it. The biggest producers you can name from the big studios tell you that they gave you your culture. They rewrote your histories and sold it to you in a fictional form, which now becomes reality to you. That's the sad news. Before Hollywood came up, the United States was like most other European countries, a mixture of European peoples, some of whom were segregated from other people, some even settled into cities, and from, from the Dutch or the German, there were lots of German, and then there was the, the Irish, and then there were the Scottish areas, and they retained part of that culture up until around World War One, when Hollywood came into being. And its first main movies really were to do with propaganda. That's the purpose of the movie industry and the entertainment industry. England was the forerunner for mind control, like the Tavistock Institute came up with at the beginning of World War I. It could be found that radio, even radio, could alter people's behavior and perceptions on things. They used radio to give daily serials, they call them. Serial is from Monday, Tuesday down through Friday. Uh, as a, a play that's broken up into parts. And you've got to tune in the next day to find what happened. And they leave you with, after one hour every day with a cliffhanger. And you are sure to tune in to find out what happened to the hero. That, that's behavior modification. You've altered your behavior by even tuning in. I'm sure you would have something else to do if you didn't. Television came in big time into Britain in the 50s, and it was a mandate by the government to have televisions in everyone's homes by 1960. They bought up hundreds and thousands of used televisions from the United States. They bought them cheap. They reconditioned them, and the Dare Company, which of course is read backwards, were the ones who were allowed to pass them out. And the public were allowed to pay them up on higher purchase because folk didn't have credit cards then. That was the first thing they were allowed to do on higher purchase. If you had no collateral, they'd make sure you got a television anyway and you could pay a few shillings per week to keep it. The BBC was the only, only outlet at that time for many years of propaganda, movies, and news. Therefore, it was well under the control George Orwell tried to warn us about this because he worked for the BBC during World War II. His job, as he said himself, was to try and convince the British housewife that all these cheap meat cuts they were getting at the butchers was somehow healthier than the stuff they'd had before. In other words, to warp a reality upside down, sell them cheap junk that used to be thrown out and tell them it was better for them to give them new menus to cook by, etc. That's what his job was. And he saw from the inside how propaganda could alter the perceptions and the behavior of people who listened simply to the radio every day. We fail to realize this. That as I say, if you want to alter the behavior of people, you simply alter the environment around them. Other schools of psychology try to deal with the individual person when there's problems 
and their job is to get you back into the very system that broke you down in the first place. That's what they call getting you back and healthy again, back into the mainstream, even though the mainstream is the very cause you broke down. That's the function of psychiatry and psychology, to get you back into a crippled, deviant system that bust you in the first place. You have to look at things from many, many different angles to come up with the real answers, because we live in a matrix, a multi-leveled matrix of mind control, massive mind control and manipulation from birth, and most folk live to, their, to the, the very end, never, ever knowing. I'll be back after these messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Hi, I'm back. Alan Watt with Cutting Through the Matrix. Just telling you a little bit about the multi-leveled system we're in and how difficult it is for the person at the bottom to figure it out since he turns around to the people nearest to him and blames them. It's so easy to do. They say that there are nine above and nine below all the hierarchies with us in the middle. That's how many levels are above and below, each one separate from the other through layers of security clearances, etc. The ones at the top are the only ones who understand what's really going on. I think we have Harley in Michigan on the line. Are you there, Harley? Yes, Alan. Good evening. How are you this evening? Not so bad. Good, good. You know, I, I, I want to agree with you about what you were saying. Um, kind of thought about uh, Jack Satali's book, uh, Millennium Winners and Losers. And I like the chapter where he talked about the microchipping. And then he further, and, uh, as you go along in the book, he also talked about how you need to curve off some of the things that you enjoy. So in that book, I think he gave a lot of uh, insight detail on what's really going on. And I'm going to hang up, and I'm gonna, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Alan, have a good night. Thank you. Yes, uh, Atali was the the man that everyone went to see in France when they went to see Mitterrand, President Mitterrand. They had to go through Atali to get to him. Atali was really the top man, and he's now working at the United Nations headquarters. He wrote about the, the downfall of America and how it was planned, basically, and how they said the vast hordes would come up from Latin America and devastate the south of the U.S., and after a generation or two after all the commotion, and destruction has died down, that most of the U.S. would end up being a Spanish-speaking populace. He knew the agenda because he worked in the big think tanks. He took part in the big think tanks uh, that planned and drew all this up. And he also was one of the main leaders for the European Union. So he knew the format. But yeah, he knew about the chipping and how when they took down borders, they still needed total control of information over every individual soul and for a, a borderless world, they'd have to literally chip every single individual and keep
track of them, know where they were at all times, and who they were meeting with, and ultimately what they were even saying to people. Uh, their banking would also be included in this chip, and he wrote about that in other articles as well. So the, the card, or the chip, the card is only the precursor to train you to accept the next step. They don't seem all quite natural in a pro progression. But the card itself is admitted to, that's coming shortly, has enough story space in the active chip to, to do all your bank trans transactions. And that will be the only one you'll be allowed to use down the road. And the chipping uh, will be mandatory eventually. So that when you cross borders, uh, all you'll have is a machine there anyway that registers you passing through. They don't really care in the next few years where you, you come from or go to as long as, as that you're in the system and paying taxes and working and being a happy little slave. That's all they really care about. We, there's nothing, in fact, for the next 50 years that they haven't written about at some level or other and often put these books in your, your library where no one will read them. And um, legally, they've told us where they're taking us. The big building projects are going on for the NAFTA superhighway are going on at a war-like pace, night and day, seven days a week, uh, through the winter too. In Canada, they're actually shoveling snow in the winter to clear these roads as they blast them and blast through rocks and, and mountains. This has never been done before, this kind of uh, high-powered race to get this accomplished. It's a must-be, as they say, because once the hullabaloo is over and the borders start coming down, once we've all got our ID card, uh, then the borders themselves will come down and there'll be massive flows of people from Latin America looking for the streets paved with gold. And they won't find them, of course. The gold's left the country a long time ago. But that's how it's done. The big builders are always building huge new projects, always planning way ahead, like a, like a huge business plan. And that's all it is. It's a huge business plan that goes on forever, with us and every generation being trained to do their part in it, never really knowing how it's going to turn out. We're meant to simply sit back and be entertained every night when we come back from work and drink your beer, watch your sports, and zonk out, uh, take your downloading from the news, believe what they say, and use that for your topics of conversation the following day. That's what Zygmunt Brzezinski talked about in Between Two Ages and the Grand Chessboard. He also talked about stuff that no one's talking about right now, is the te technotronic warfare or psychotronic warfare that was ready to go back in the 1970s using the HARP technology they could literally bathe a whole continent with specific uh, scalar wave pulsation and affect the mood and the behavior of every person inside the country. Well, that's been happening. There's even been lawsuits launched against the U.S. government by Maine because they found out they were being the guinea pigs for the scalar weaponry and the testing of it. We live in a very, very different world than the one the major media will tell you about. And I'll tell you more about this when I come back after the following break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Eric in Nebraska called in. Are you there, Eric? Hello? Yes, I am. Yeah. Alan? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Alan, this is a, a question a little bit off topic tonight, but I think you're the person who could help me. I've been trying to figure out how the very first king got the job as being a king or the first ruler. I mean, going back, farther back than Egyptian times when they had Ra, going back further than Samaria. How did it all start where there was that key uh, leadership position? And do you have any idea about how that might have come about? Well, the, the general theory they give in universities is that um, uh, an opposing tribe would clash at certain times over food in times of scarcity, and the biggest man, in fact, which would be chosen to be a leader, is more intimidating, etc. And during his little reign, during the time of strife, he would be looked up to for advice, etc. Then once the little skirmish was over, he got accustomed to having a little bit more than the rest and got accustomed to having all the goodies. That's what they claim, in a way. However, there's an occultic side behind it as well, because king comes from Cain, and kingu, uh, all comes from the same root word, including cane uh, also used to be the term for a ruler. The ruler that you use in school was made of cane, you see? It was a measurement. So it goes back to a much ancient system, or ancient system of builders, again, to do with measurement, rulership. You, you, you measure by using the ruler, and you have a cane that became king and kingu. Uh, Sar is another term that they used in the Middle East uh, for it as well. So uh, it's an occultic language, in fact, going down through the millennia that still carries on today, which doesn't surprise me since you look at the same emblems that they use in the nobility of Europe, and the same emblems that were used in courts of arms thousands of years ago. They try and say that it was all brought up during the Middle Ages. They invented the courts of arms, but that's so far from the truth, it's laughable. Uh, they found coins from 800 BC and before, or around 800 BC when coins came in, with coats of arms of the particular kings, and they're always predators. It's always a lion or an eagle or something like that, right. because they were the predators. So uh, I don't know if that helps you or not. But, but we are going back, you know, pre-Egyptian times, because the, the strongman theory wouldn't account for the intellect of the reader, leader would only account for, you know, their strength and no one challenging them, but there had to yeah. be brain power. Well, even in those days, they didn't need too much intellect. Uh, physical strength was intimidating. And uh, uh, once you had the leaders, and this is the, the key to all this in, in history, uh, once you had the leaders, um, the big men in all the big tribes, um, intermarrying with, with uh, their daughters, etc., then, then the whole process of inbreeding started, and the, the priesthoods, which were always there in the early days, it was shamans in one form or another, would keep track of, of who was breeding with who, until you get to the stage of Sumer, and then later Egypt, where they actually married their own sisters, to keep okay. the, this particular quality in the family. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, it's tremendously interesting, and even... Even the kings and queens they've dug up from Sumer are very interesting because we find that, that they wore wigs of the people they ruled over, the black-haired wigs, but they themselves were, were blonde or red-haired. That's an interesting little fact. 
you go into the Egyptian tombs and look at even the aristocracy around the pharaohs, uh, they were often painted with green or blue eyes, and they found the black woven wigs of, made by people, the local people, uh, that they wore during the day uh, when they were showing themselves to the public. There's a, there's a thing here that goes back and even into Aryan times to do with the blonde, the ancient blonde people, almost an albino that swept through areas of the, the northern parts of the Middle East and then eventually into India. Uh, it was very, they were very proud of being ultra-white, almost albino. And that's where the whole concept of the Aryan race came from. Hitler was fascinated by that, uh, as was um, Goring and a few other ones and Himmler. They tried to trace their roots back to the, what they thought was the Aryan race, a people who were highly skilled in war, um, very aggressive, uh, almost merciless, in fact. And in the Old Testament, you'll find they called them the Hurrians at one point. In the, the Greek, they called them the Troglodytes. The Troglodytes, those who lived within caves, within mountains, very pale skin. And the supposed tribe of Manasseh uh, interbred with them to the north and became very warlike and fierce and even turned upon the people of Israel, according to their legends. So we'll never know how much is truth or, or, or fiction or partly truth or, or myth. We do know that there was definitely a, a race of people who ruled over other peoples but did not interbreed with the ones they ruled over, much the same as the European royalty. They never marry into the ordinary stock which they rule over. They only marry each other. And from the most ancient times up until really uh, the 1600s, we don't realize that in Europe, when a king married a foreign queen, often the whole country uh, was put down as her dowry, and millions of people were handed over as property and all the land when they got together. That's what really happened not so long ago, not so very long ago at all. And here we find, lo and behold, Professor Carol Quigley in his book, The Anglo-American Establishment, uh, telling us that the next system that's coming in, it's already here, is uh, a regurgitation of the feudal system, with the top CEOs being the, the feudal overlords. Now, I think there's Kirk in California. Are you there? Uh, yes, I am. How are you doing, Alan? Not so bad. Good, good. It's an honor to talk to you. Uh, I have a question for you. Um, who or has there been any obstacles in history uh, that have conflicted against this agenda, like certain people that have come out in history that have actually managed to modify it at all? Um, I don't think so, to be honest. Or with groups, you. or you know. Oh, there's always been groups that will spring up spontaneously, and are often put down uh, very swiftly if they're a threat to the ruling establishment. In fact, again, the history, primarily of Europe, was ferocious to do with how they kept control over the public, um, especially since the Norman invasion. Before the Normans, there were Saxons and uh, various Germanic peoples in Britain. And in, in fact, the language was basically a Germanic language. And we know that they thoroughly uh, resented uh, being taken over by this new Norman uh, brotherhood, really, uh, with their old, old system that really goes all the way back to the ancient Middle East. We find Scotland was one of the main countries uh, that rebelled and fought them off. Scotland fought off the Romans. It was the only country the Romans could not conquer. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh -huh. and didn't, 
and even the defeats that Scotland had were mainly just uprisings of few clans. Uh, Scotland's biggest defeat was to be given away in marriage uh, to royalty, from one royal to another. And um, we, we find that they put up the, some of the biggest shows, so did good parts of Ireland as well, uh, rebelling against this particular system. People think in Ireland it's just uh, Protestants against Catholics, and it wasn't just that at all. There were many Protestants fought even in the early uh, IRA uprisings because they did not want this, uh, this feudal British rule that was very, very ancient from taking over their, their lifestyles. Well, yeah, they definitely portray it as it's the Protestants against the Catholics when it comes to Ireland. That's, uh, that seems to be the company line, if you will, I guess. Yes, and, and they did definitely try and stir that up because they think, if they can get people fighting amongst each other, they sit back and laugh and manage the strife very well. It's the same in the Americas. I've noticed even amongst what they think are the patriot movements, uh, the lines are being drawn as to who you're supposed to hate and kill and who's behind it. And, and that's typical strategy uh, as you all go down the sewer pipe together, strangling the wrong people, because the ones above you are the guys. Uh, these are international families, very, very old families. And if you want to know a lot of their names, just look into who was on the Mayflower. May is a very important time for this occultic group. Yeah, they, they certainly want us fighting amongst each other. I wonder if there's any agent provocateurs in this movement, too. I would imagine they try to plant some just to They've had cause. Them. Yeah. Some have come out and shown themselves. Uh, Colonel Bo Greitz was one of the best ones. He was on the shortwave programs for years, uh -huh. collecting names of all the people and being a, a good mason because he gave them all the Masonic clues, uh -huh. all those little talks. And then after 9-11, just when he got off shortwave radio a few months before, after being on it for years, on the congressional steps on national television, he, he was shown talking to a reporter, and he said, I think it was those crazy patriot types that listened to shortwave radio and, huh. the, and believe in ha black helicopters. So You've got to wonder yeah. what he did with all those names they collected, huh? Oh, well, I'm sure. It was so funny <laughs> because uh, he was telling them that as a member of the militia, which everyone could be, just send your name to, to the Department of Defense, and they'll give you an old Garand rifle from, from World War II. <laughs> right, there you go. Something that's going to be worthless or blow up in your hands. Yeah, well, at least they've got you monitored there, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the article. It was in um, Orlando, out of one of the television stations. They were talking about uh, U.S. troops being deployed to the uh, Washington, D.C. Well, yeah. Actually, they rotate them to their anyway. They're always rotating them. They've been under heavy um, surveillance for a while in Washington and protection really since 9-11 happened. Well, this one's kind of interesting because this isn't actually an armored division. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, artillery. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised because they're going to start the next uh, step towards Iran. Yeah, it's, it definitely seems that way to me that there's some really big things going on in the United States right now. And, and, and I'm just amazed because I talk to as many people as I can about these subjects and I try not to be too pushy, but I, you know, I am passionate about this and I can see the writing on the wall, especially um, just all you got to do is read history. That's what I always tell people. I mean, this is not some conspiracy theory. No, all you have to do is read history. Theory. It's right there. It's fast it's right for you. There. Yeah, everything is in the open now if you want to see it. And the main thing is not to be stuck down on what's coming immediately next. Look at the long-term thing and everything suddenly makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what I think gives you a perspective when you definitely look at history and stuff. Well, I know you got other people to talk to. It was a real honor speaking to you, Alan. Well, thanks for calling in. Okay, thank you. Okay, there's Bye. Robert in Canada. Are you there, Robert? 
Robert in Canada? Hello? Robert? Robert in Canada? I don't know if I'm still on or if Robert's there, so I'll just keep talking away here. But, uh, but yeah, um, look at the long-term uh, goals of history and everything suddenly makes sense to you. See where they're going. Look at the big building projects. Look at all the deals that have been signed for, over the next, for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And you realize your government is not worried about losing any kind of war. Uh, neither is the British government or the French or anybody else. They're doing their big long-term plans to, do, to deal with um, a rising population, um, to do with city planning, the habitat areas. That's going on full steam ahead. And um, when they stop doing that, then you start worrying because then you'll know they're running out of things to do because then they'll know there's something coming up. But in the meantime, don't be waylaid by uh, the, the immediacy of things. Look at the long-term agenda. Look at the taking over of Iran as the next goal. And they might just very well rush through to Syria uh, without stopping because they don't want to stop it and then start to get public opinion again for, for Syria. It's interesting, even looking at George Orwell's 1984, where you had to know who you were fighting because they kept changing your targets every few months. That's how devious this system is. Well, I'll be back after the following messages. Sounds very 
very interesting, and uh, so many interesting things in the Bible there that I guess have double meanings. Uh, like Genesis, uh, I believe, uh, does it mean the gene of Isis? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the whole thing is is, uh, is very interesting because the the high occultic society called their church the Mother. They always call it the Mother. Sometimes Sophia, the goddess of fear of wisdom. Right. And if you look at Osiris and Isis, well, you see um, Isis is the church and Osiris is the body. That's really what it means. Mm-hmm. You belong to the body of it. So the male lineage is supposed to be superior in their view uh, to the female as far, as far as rulership goes, but the female is the carrier of the gene. And they call them dollies in the, the, the high Masonic circles, mm-hmm. and they mate them up. A dolly is a carrier. Benjamin Franklin uh, used that term himself when he belonged to the Hellfire Club in England. And uh, he, he talked about even the ancestor of uh, Jackie Onassis uh, because um, uh, that woman who ran the, the actual authorized high brothel, that could, it's a breeding brothel mm-hmm. with uh, women with specialized genes, was the Bouvier, Madame Bouvier, who was a direct uh, ancestor of Jackie Onassis or Kennedy. So they've been breeding selectively down through the ages, and the honor for the high Masonic group who'd served the purpose well was to actually breed with these women. Mm-hmm. And it was their offspring they were after, offspring of genius coupled with the right care of the female. Well, thanks for answering my question, Alan. You take care. It's a pleasure. And, yeah, so, so much is going on all around us all the time. Always has been in every generation. Most people are oblivious to it. They don't really know what's going on except what's right in front of their noses. And that's what the job of the media is, is to keep you in a total confusion while this agenda rushes ahead. Always learning, but never knowing. That's it for me tonight, from Hamish and myself. It's good night, may your God or your gods go with you.